It's November 2nd, 1947. It's a typically golden morning on the southern coast of California. Excited crowds line Long Beach Harbor, ready to see a spectacle. Underneath a sprawling canvas tent, reporter James McNamara passes rows of clattering typewriters. McNamara enjoys the crackle of his fellow newshounds as they quarrel, flirt, crack wise, and gossip even faster than they type. Today, the main topic of conversation is Howard Hughes, the famous American businessman, investor, and daredevil aviator. Whether or not he's ruined, whether or not he's insane. McNamara and the rest of the reporters are here to cover the maiden taxi run of the world's largest and most expensive aircraft. The H-4 Hercules, as only Mr. Hughes calls it, is a gigantic flying boat designed to be a key part of the war effort. With its huge wooden belly, it can transport large numbers of war personnel and materials across the Atlantic Ocean, providing a tremendous logistical advantage. And just in time, one reporter jokes, seeing how the war's been over for two years. But the Hercules is a sight to behold. A majestic, eight-rotored beast gleaming in the sun and making every other boat in the bay seem minuscule by comparison. Due to wartime restrictions, the aircraft is built principally from plywood, and this has led some detractors to nickname it the Flying Lumberyard. But history will remember the aircraft by another name, a name despised by Howard Hughes, the Spruce Goose. From Noiser and Airship, I'm Lindsey Graham, and this is History Daily. History is made every day. On this podcast, every day, we tell the true stories of the people and events that shaped our world. Today is November 2nd, the Spruce Goose. It's November 2nd, 1947, at Long Beach, California. On the harbor rim under the canopy, reporters are placing bets. This goose won't fly, one reporter says to McNamara. He'd have better chance of putting the Empire State Building into the air. The radio reporter lugs with him some heavy but portable recording equipment, including a turntable, a large storage battery, and cables. He and his engineer haul it toward where the giant aircraft is moored. McNamara is one of the lucky few reporters who've been allowed aboard the Spruce Goose this morning. And soon McNamara is seated inside the spacious flight deck. Speaking into his microphone, he describes to listeners how the Sky Giant is cruising along the northwest course of the Outer Harbor. This marvel is over 200 tons and has a wingspan greater than 320 feet, bigger than any football field in America. The tail alone is 80 feet tall. But the most astounding fact is the price tag. According to some reports, the Spruce Goose cost in excess of $23 million, equivalent to $211 million today. That extraordinary figure includes $18 million in government funds that the project received way back in 1942 for three of such boats. The Spruce Goose has garnered a reputation as a useless money pit and Howard Hughes a shameless war profiteer. In fact, just two months earlier, Hughes was called before the United States Congress. They asked him to explain how he'd only managed to produce two prototypes of a now unnecessary aircraft. Howard Hughes came out fighting. He told the committee members, I've put the sweat of my life into this thing. 
I have my reputation rolled up in it, and I've stated several times that if it's a failure, I'll probably leave the country, never come back, and I mean it. Now Howard sits behind the controls of his controversial airship. Today was billed as a simple high-speed taxi demonstration, but Howard plans to give his onlookers something more sensational than that. After all, this is a man who knows a thing or two about showmanship. As well as being a highly successful entrepreneur and inventor, he tried his hand at filmmaking and was, as far as he's concerned, very good, even if the critics didn't always agree. As the director and producer of the 1930 film Hell's Angels, Hughes staged spectacular aerial dogfighting scenes, even piloting planes above the action himself and coordinating maneuvers through radio direction. Later, when he directed The Outlaw, starring Jane Russell, he employed his engineering skills to design a new cantilevered underwire bra, one to emphasize Russell's already impressive bust. The result was too uncomfortable for Miss Russell to wear, but that didn't faze Howard Hughes. He knows what the country wants to see. And today, on November 2nd, 1947, they want to get a glimpse of a great American hero. Howard certainly looks the part. He isn't dressed like a movie star. With his brown leather jacket, brown trousers, and matching fedora, he looks like the daring aviator a movie star might play on the big screen. But now, inside the hot, king-size cockpit, he's removed his hat and jacket. He's pushing at the throttle and picking up speed. McNamara, holding a microphone to his lips, looks out the side window. He reports that they're 30 feet above the ocean, even though they haven't taken off. But to Howard, who sits in the cockpit, the reporter might as well be a buzzing fly. Howard is partly deaf, and so he likely wouldn't be able to hear him, even without the roaring of the engines. It's a good thing, too, as McNamara is now reminding his listeners that Mr. Hughes' war contracts are still under investigation. Howard wants to play the part of the great American hero, but there are those in the press who describe Howard Hughes as anything but heroic. They point to the fact that he didn't even serve in World War II and yet made huge profits as a weapons manufacturer. He's a silver spoon kid, his detractors say, who inherited his fortune. He's not some great inventor, he's a spoiled hobbyist, and he's been indulging his own preoccupations at America's expense. But Howard, the idiosyncratic billionaire, has never slowed down in the face of criticism. Inside the cockpit of the Spruce Goose, he presses down on the throttle, determined to show a skeptical world that in the end, only a fool bets against Howard Hughes. It's November 2nd, 1947. As Howard Hughes presses the throttle of the Spruce Goose, he knows that his entire reputation as an air manufacturer is at stake. If this thing fails to fly this morning, he may have to make good on his promise and leave the country in disgrace. But the story of the Spruce Goose didn't begin with Howard. It was actually the brainchild of Henry Kaiser, a wealthy American boat builder renowned for his line of Liberty cargo ships. Throughout World War II, Kaiser's Liberty ships were mass-produced on an unprecedented scale, providing a vital resource for Allied forces. They transported everything from tanks to troops to wherever they most needed to be. But down in the depths of the North Atlantic, there lurked a problem. German U-boats were torpedoing Allied transport ships as they attempted to cross the sea. It became impossible to get any heavy payload through without risking destruction. The solution was obvious. 
giant flying boats capable of taking off and landing on water and built to carry huge loads across long distances far above enemy subs. And Kaiser knew about boats, but to get aloft, he needed the help of another industrialist with more aeronautical experience. Howard Hughes had already stepped up to aid in the war effort. He wasn't a soldier, his deafness precluded him from serving his country in that way, but as an inventor and military supplier, he could still pitch in. In 1941, Howard devised a method to feed ammunition into fighter plane guns with greater efficiency, and as a result, he'd made millions through war contracts, building an even greater fortune than the one he'd inherited from his father. Howard Hughes Sr. had been the founder of the Hughes Tool Company and made his mark on the world in the drilling industry. And it was evident from an early age that Howard Jr. was going to be a chip off the old block. At age 11, with his dad's help, Howard, native Texan, had built Houston's first ever wireless radio transmitter. At age 12, he had his picture taken for the papers as the first boy in Houston to have built himself a motorized bicycle. He was taking flying lessons at 14, and no one who knew Howard at that age had any doubt that something big was going to come from him. But as a teenager, Howard suffered a double blow. Both of his parents died suddenly, his mother from an ectopic pregnancy, his father from a heart attack. It was an emotional loss that cast a shadow over the rest of his life. In his father's will, Howard inherited most of the family fortune. But he wasn't merely an heir. He distinguished himself as a highly successful businessman in his own right, setting up the Hughes Aircraft Company. He was so successful that in 1942, shipbuilder Henry Kaiser convinced him to build a prototype for a flying boat that could help win the war. The aircraft was originally called the HK-1, H for Hughes, K for Kaiser. It was to carry 750 troops, despite being made of birchwood rather than metal. However, the development of the craft dragged on far beyond its initial deadline, and the relationship between the two industrialists grew strained. Frustrated by the excruciating slowness of Howard's perfectionism, Kaiser dropped out of the project. Hughes dropped the K from the name. Now the aircraft was just the H-4. War raged on while Howard kept perfecting his new obsession. When the war ended, the aircraft still wasn't finished. The media dubbed the overdue aircraft the Spruce Goose, but in Washington, it was seen as a waste of time, money, and resources. And for one Republican senator, Ralph Brewster, it became the focus of a political attack. Senator Brewster launched an inquiry into Hughes' supposed misappropriation of funds. To have taken so much money from the war budget, Brewster argued, during a moment of national crisis, and to still not have delivered anything long after that crisis had been reverted, was surely profiteering. So Hughes went to Washington to defend himself. He told Congress that Senator Brewster's story as related here yesterday is a pack of lies and I can tear it apart. It was in this testimony that he swore before the Senate that if he couldn't get his Hercules H-4 into the air, then he'd leave the country in disgrace. And so, two months later, on the shore of Long Beach Harbor, Howard has everything riding on this demonstration. He accelerates his mighty aircraft and prepares for takeoff. He's ready to show Senator Brewster and everyone else that nobody underestimates Howard Hughes. It's November 2nd, 1947, on the South Californian coast. On board the Spruce Goose, radio reporter James McNamara makes his way to the cockpit. 
He passes by mechanics, engineers, and the co-pilot for an exclusive interview with Howard Hughes himself. He holds the microphone close to Howard's lips so his answers can be heard over the roar of the machine. The craft has already completed its first run on the water, and McNamara asks what speed they attain. 90 miles per hour, he's told. Howard explains that he's about to do another run for the photographers, but this one will be a little different. McNamara straps in, but keeps commentating as he watches the airspeed indicator. We're at 45, he tells his listeners. 50, 55, 60, full throttle, 70, 75, then at 80 miles per hour, over an extremely choppy sea, the spruce goose takes flight. Howard and the crew on board cheer victoriously, as do the onlookers watching from the harbor wall. Howard, did you expect that? asks an astounded McNamara once the goose returns to the water. Certainly, replies Howard in a cool tone. I like to make surprises. The goose was airborne for one minute and reached 70 feet off the water. It flew 135 miles per hour for roughly a mile. It was the only time that the spruce goose ever took to the skies. However, that demonstration was all that was needed to prove Howard's detractors wrong, and in the public eye, he'd vindicated his use of government funds. The H-4 Hercules, the Spruce Goose, is now the centerpiece attraction at the Evergreen Aviation and Space Museum in Oregon. It was originally commissioned to save Allied ships from German torpedoes, but because it arrived long after the U-boat menace had subsided, it never fulfilled its intended purpose. It could be argued, in fact, that the only thing the Spruce Goose ever really saved was Howard Hughes' reputation. Tomorrow on History Daily, November 3rd, in the midst of the space race, a stray Russian mutt named Laika rides a rocket into history. From Noiser and Airship, this is History Daily, hosted, edited, and executive produced by me, Lindsey Grant. Audio editing by Molly Bond. Sound design by Derek Behrens. Music by Lindsey Grant. This episode is written and researched by James Benmore. Executive producers are Stephen Walters for Airship, Pascal Hughes for Noiser.